Well, I'm so glad to see you here on this Easter Sunday morning. My name's Dan Jarvis. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you after the service. Uh, just as was said earlier, this is, a, this is a great church community to be a part of. And if you don't have kind of the warmth of a church family around you, we'd love to make, have you make this your church home. And uh, we can talk to you about that. I was so inspired by Maureen's story a little bit earlier and just the the decision she made to, to commit her life to Christ, and part of that being the warmth and connection and truth that she received by interfacing with so many people across our church family, it's really exciting to hear, and, uh, and I know a lot of us share stories like that. Um, today we're going to talk about the best story of all, all right? It's no secret what we're here to celebrate today. He is risen. Risen indeed. Now that little phrase, that's kind of passed down to us from centuries of Christian experience, if you think about what it would have been like to be one of those early disciples who had followed Jesus, they were hanging on his every word, that he taught him how to, or you know, Jesus taught them how to pray, Jesus showed them amazing miracles, and yet when he was hanging on the cross, it seemed to the disciples like their hopes had been dashed. It seemed like the plan was ruined. Even though Jesus had said, this will happen, that somehow in that moment they didn't have ears to hear, and it felt like darkness had won the day. And so it wasn't until after his resurrection that some of those disciples started realizing, wait, everything Jesus said is not only true, but it's true in more ways than we first understood. Jesus didn't just offer us a better way to live, he offered us the way to true and everlasting life. So we're going to celebrate that a little bit today, and I'd encourage you to turn in the Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to talk about your life forever. Now, obviously, Easter is about Jesus' resurrected life, and we're going to read the story of that in just a few moments. But I want to start by thinking about your perception of what it would mean to live forever. So I, I ask your life forever as a question because I, I think initially all of us would sign up for everlasting life if someone just said, hey, I've got the potion. You know, we found the fountain of youth over here. Just take this drink of this and you'll live forever. Uh, you might say, yes, I want that. You'd reach for it. But after you drank it, you might start counting the cost a little bit. That it wasn't, it wasn't a potion to get ideal life forever. It was a potion to get your life forever. And let me ask you, is every aspect, of some, uh, every aspect of your life something you want to keep living with forever? Say, well, there's probably some areas where you would say, you know what, I hope that doesn't last. I, I, I wouldn't mind living forever in the ideal sense, but I don't know if I want my life forever. That might actually be pretty disturbing. Uh, that might be pretty difficult to, to last. For whatever crazy reason, and you, you all know I'm kind of a nerd, so when I think about this question, um, I think about the last of the classic Indiana Jones movies, when that poor knight, remember when he found the chalice, like the cup of Jesus in the story, and it supposedly had magic properties to keep him alive, and so there he was living in a cave, drinking water from this cup that was keeping him alive. The problem was he wasn't he wasn't thriving in life, right? He wasn't living an abundant, joyful life. What was he doing? He was getting older and older and older and older 
in a cave, and he couldn't die. So you would imagine, after hundreds of years of living older and older and older and older, this poor guy would be kind of wishing to die, right? Because it, it wasn't just eternal life that somebody would really want. It's, it's eternal, abundant life. It's some sort of joyful life, some sort of purposeful life. Just extending your lifespan forever is not necessarily a good thing. All right, so that brings us to our verse. And up on the screen it says 1 Timothy, but it's actually 2 Timothy in the Scripture. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to a holy life. That means a set-apart life, a pure life, a special life. And that's right here and now. God saved you and he called you to something special. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So you say, that sounds wonderful. Like, I want that. There's a little bit more. Verse 10. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Now, when you study the Bible and you look at an important verse like this one, I, I tend to look at it and think, well, I know every word matters. Right? So we're reading, obviously, a translation from when Paul wrote this in Greek. Uh, but, you know, the phrases are the same. If you were to read this in Greek, it would maybe be a little different order, but the same concepts are there. And I notice in the highlighted portion that Jesus eliminated the way to life and immortality. Now, if you're studying the passage, what question pops to your mind when you read both of those words? Almost sounds like he's repeating himself. They say, well, life and immortality sound like the same thing. So the more you look at that, you think, well, maybe they're not the same thing. Life is about quality. Immortality is about quantity. Life is about what's happening. It's your heart beating. It's the, it's the process of being alive Immortality means that that process of being alive never has to end. There's a little bit of difference here. So Jesus didn't just come to give us immortality. Like, hey, if you'll believe in Jesus, you can just get older and older and older and older. And all the old people said, not amen. That doesn't make, no, you wouldn't. All the old people said, I don't think that sounds very good, right? Uh, you, may, you may already be having this experience in your life, but when you're young, everybody asks you what's next. Right? So some of you are living through that right now. It depends on what age you are. But I mean, people are like, hey, what's, you know, what's your next step? Or what, what, what do you think your next, next home you might move into? Or what's your next job plan? Or what do you think you'll do after school? Or what, what will your next step be? And then eventually, somewhere in the middle of your life, people stop asking you what's next. And it's kind of a depressing moment, right? When you kind of start realizing, wait a minute, I'm asking the younger people that, but nobody's reciprocating that question anymore because you're kind of over the hill. People don't want to remind you of what's coming next, you know? And, uh, and so you think about if life, if that's all life is, if it's just going to be kind of this glide downhill, then even the best case scenario would be that it's a comfortable glide downhill and it's still over, right? So life without immortality Sounds a little bit unfulfilling, but then you go, but I don't want to have immortality and not have life along the way. I don't want to be like that knight sitting in a cave living forever. Uh, no, there's got to be a better way. And, and here's what's exciting. When you think about the good news of what Jesus came to do, he, brought, he made the way plain. He lit up the way for us 
to life and immortality. So let's walk that through a little bit. First of all, imagine your existence. This is a terrible thing to think about, right? Imagine your existence strung out over eons of time, multiplying selfishness and hurt and shame and lust and bitterness and guilt and decay. You think you tend, we tend to think, I want everlasting life because it's just going to keep getting better and better, but we all know the truth about ourselves. There's a whole bunch of yuck, right, inside here. And just because you live longer doesn't make that go away. It's not like if you live a certain amount of time, you kind of work all the problems out and suddenly life's great. No, actually, the human experience, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the scripture, in the book of Genesis, uh, you read that people had longer lifespans right after the Garden of Eden. Let me ask you this. After the Garden of Eden, did people like contend with their problems and their marital difficulties and the violence around them and then solve their problems and then live in harmony. Did that happen? So they, they had plenty of time, right? Some of the people lived for multiple hundreds of years at that time, and it didn't help. In fact, when you read in Genesis 6, which is the right before Noah and the ark and the flood and that story, what, do you remember why God had to send the flood to destroy the world? Why that all happened? Um, in the Bible that's under the seat, seat in front of you, there's, there's headings that kind of help you read through. And the heading that's over this section in Genesis 6 is a world gone wrong. That's pretty much what happened. The world fell apart. There, there were no limits to human evil. So rather than multiplying good, that longer time being alive just made things get worse and worse and worse until chapter 6, verse 5 says, or chapter, yeah, chapter 6, verse 5 says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I'll destroy every living thing, the people, the large and small animals, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. And thankfully, in that moment, there was one person who wasn't consistently evil all the time. There was one person left who still had faith in his heart. And who was that? That was Noah. And that says Noah found favor with the Lord. So we're all really grateful to Noah or else we wouldn't be here now. So if the key to life was just extending it, I think they would have found it back then. But all of us know, if you just give me a longer lifespan, that's a longer runway to mess things up, just as much as a longer runway to try to get it right. So lengthening life isn't, isn't our salvation. Hey, here's the flip side of that. Imagine your life set apart for God's special purposes. Okay, so you're going to live kind of the maximum version of the best Christian life that's possible, filled with vibrancy, joy, sacrifice. You're striving for what's right. You've got a life that's rich in love. There's passion. There's promise. There's all these exciting things happening. And then it's over. That would be life without immortality. right? And let me ask you, is there a lot of purpose in that life? Well, it sounds like a better ride than the other option. It sounds like that would be the more joyful way to live, but your life's still temporary, so it's still, it's still going to be over. Even if you do everything right, it's still going to be over. There's a book in the Bible that's kind of dedicated to that point. Some of you have read it. It's called Ecclesiastes. 
all right? And I would encourage you, if you're feeling depressed, don't read Ecclesiastes, because this guy had some serious depression going on. He had evaluated everything that people were striving for, that he himself was, was trying to find, and everything was proven to be meaningless. So he wrote this whole book, which it's really sad. Um, he, he goes through, he talks about pleasure, money, wisdom, goodness versus evil, you know, working hard versus being lazy. He goes through the whole, and he says, you know what? Without some sort of an eternal anchor, none of this makes any sense. And chapter 9 is kind of like the lowest point. And, and here's, here's something he said. He says, it seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion, which I've never heard anyone say that to me, but now we've got a new saying to test out. Um, the living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, all is long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So the writer of Ecclesiastes says, you know what? You could live the best possible life, and if it's still over at the end, then what's the point of living the best possible life? Immortality without new life would be pointless, and a life without immortality would still be passing. So here's why Jesus brings us some good news. Life and immortality are possible and made available, and it's because Jesus rose from the dead that it's available to you. So I kind of look at Jesus' ministry on earth as he taught people, as he did miracles, as he showed the way forward. That, that's kind of the key to life, right? That would be that you follow the path of Jesus, and he's going to give you a, a better way of living, an abundant way of living. And, and that's wonderful, but if, if he still got stretched out on the cross and died at the end, and all the disciples are sad at the end of the story, then all he was was a good teacher who gave some great ideas that maybe the smarter people will follow. And that's about it, because it's still over. And that was the condition of things in the, in the minds of the disciples until something really special, very miraculous happened on Sunday morning a long time ago. So for that, uh, we're going to look at our key text here, kind of go back up a phrase, right? So Jesus illuminates the way to life and immortality, breaks the power of death, and all of this is made plain by Jesus appearing, by Jesus coming. Well, let's talk about that. So in the scripture, go to Luke chapter 24, and there should be a Bible in the seat underneath there in front of you. I would encourage you to read along. This is the meat of Easter. This is the core story of why we set aside this special day to celebrate resurrection. It's because after Jesus had died, and when he was laid in the tomb, and everything was sad, and there wasn't any hope, there were a few women who were in charge of going and doing the customary embalming of the dead body, and that's what they were about to do early on Sunday morning. Chapter 24, verse 1, very early on Sunday morning, the women went out to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. 
they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and they bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking for the dead, among the dead, for someone who is alive? He isn't here, he is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you when he was back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? Well, then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back to the tomb, or from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and he went home again wondering what had happened. Well, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the, the man from Nazareth, they said. He, he was a prophet who did miracles and a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then, then some women from our group of, of his followers, they, they were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman, women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets, what they wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us, it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as he sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven disciples and the others who'd gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen, and he has appeared to Peter. And over the, next, over the next few weeks, Jesus 
appeared to multiple of the disciples and even to whole crowds of people, demonstrating that he was alive. Demonstrating it wasn't just a story made up by a few of the disciples who were really hopeful or wishful thinkers. No, there were multiple eyewitnesses who saw Jesus physically there with them, who saw the nail prints in his hands and the scars on his body, who watched him eat with them. Uh, Jesus was alive, but he was alive in a new way, a way that was beyond just earthly existence. He, he, he was still Jesus, but somehow now he was glorified. Somehow now uh, things were different. So when I, when I hear the story of Jesus' resurrection, uh, I, can t- I can go one of two ways with it. I can either say, I'm so glad that happened for him, and I'm so glad that's a part of history, or I can say, what does that mean f- for me? What does that mean for us? The fact that Millions of people have lived and died in this world. Millions of people have believed things and trusted in things and hoped for things. And all of those people end up with the same fate. They all end up dying in the end. But here comes one person who actually broke the power of death and performed the ultimate miracle, not by helping another person, but by himself rising from the dead. If that's true, like if that happened, I want to know what that looks like. I want to know how that's possible and what that means. Now, Jesus taught, obviously, about abundant life, but in his resurrection, he made it clear that immortal life is also possible. That it's not just about living in love or having joy or peace along the road of life. It's also about that kind of life never having to end. That, that no longer is there a cloud of death that's kind of darkening every horizon because you might have a hope or you might have something exciting happen, but there's still this fear that it'll all just be over in the next moment. When Jesus rose from the dead, he showed that that's not how life has to be. That abundant and immortal life is possible And what we believe and what I want to encourage you with today is that it's possible for you. So we keep going back up in our text here, back up to verse uh, 9 of 2 Timothy 1, and we find out that God has done all of this. He's made this new life possible, not because we deserved it. So you you might think, okay, if, if there's real life to be had, life plus immortality, I want in on that. All right, what do I need to do? And, and maybe, if you're kind of like most people, you would almost want to get out the checklist and say, well, what is God asking me to do? What are all the things that I need to accomplish in order to be worthy of that gift? Or what are all the things I have to do to go search and find for the, the chalice that's going to give me that kind of life? And, and whatever the hoops I have to jump through, I'll jump through them. And, and, and I'm going to push as hard as I can. I'm going to work as hard as I can to earn my way into that story. And what we discover through Jesus is that this is actually about God's grace to you, wanting to bring you into his kind of life. It's not about your effort or your ability. Some people would maybe think they're entitled, you know, God ought to do something for them. Other people say, I'm not entitled, but I'm going to have to earn my way in. Other people think they deserve it because they think they're really great. None of those things are true. The only reason that we have access to life through Jesus is because of amazing grace. 
that God would give us what we don't deserve, that God would favor us even when our lives don't add up to perfection and there isn't anything we can do to earn his favor. God loves us and he brings us into his family as an act of grace. I think that's amazing. So Jesus showed the way as he taught and then he became the way as he rose from the dead. And now we get to follow him, right? Not just follow his teachings, but actually follow him from earth all the way into eternity. That's an exciting prospect. So we get back to the top of the verse. God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Say, wonderful, Lord, I realize the salvation here is yours. Like you're doing a miracle in me the same way you did a miracle in Jesus. And that what once was dead is now going to come to life again. So Lord, thank you for that. But it says here you're calling me to something. You're calling me to a different kind of life. What am I supposed to do? What is my next step? How how do I begin an abundant, immortal life from where I'm standing today? So I want to give you three words that for me are really helpful in summarizing the teachings of Jesus and how he points us to life. Right? So it's not complicated, but it's really important. And I know for some people in this room, maybe you've, you've walked through this process over the course of years. You've been a follower of Jesus. And, and it might have been many years ago that you first put your faith in him. There could be other people in this room who say, this is really the first time I've ever thought about it this way, and I have an open heart. I'll, I'll listen. What, what is Jesus asking me to do? Here's the first thing. Number one is repent So that's where you turn away from what is pointless and what is passing. All of the sin and uh, just the selfishness that defines this world, all the things that are ultimately a waste of time, you turn from the life that's defined by all of that and you say, I want to embrace the kind of life that Jesus came to bring. I want to embrace what, what, like Jesus knows the better way. I really do want to follow him into that way. So I'll turn from my way and start walking his way. Hey, the second word here is to believe. And Jesus said this over and over again as he would walk and talk with his disciples, with the crowds. He would say, believe in me. Believe in my Father who sent me. Put your faith, instead of putting your faith in yourself or in some religious system, trust in God instead. And so, Like those early disciples, we have a a faith question in front of us where we see Jesus and we see what he's doing, we know what he's teaching, and there comes a moment when we have to look at Christ and say, "Do, do I believe him? Or would I rather believe in myself or in something else? So put your faith in Jesus to save you, and his resurrected life changes the belief equation quite a bit. Think about all the things Jesus said were true, and so, you know, when, when he said, love your neighbor, when he said, here's the, here's the way to treat the people who mistreat you, like, all those things were truths, and they would make for a healthier life in society, even if they just stood on their own. But everything took on a little bit of a new clarity when Jesus stepped out of that grave. Because now you're not just looking at one more person's opinion about how to live a better life. You're looking at the way of life that transcends this world. So it's the way out of Ecclesiastes. When that person was saying, wow, no matter what happens, it's all sad and everything ends. It all ends if it's all based in this world. But if there's more than this and your life can tie into that, 
When Jesus steps out of the grave, he's showing you the road forward out of normal life and into real life, right? So we believe that. We say, Lord, I'll put my faith in you instead of trusting myself. And then the last key word in the ministry of Jesus, which he said over and over again as he would walk up to people and invite them to be a part of what he was doing, he would say very simply, follow me. And if you think of it, back in that time, they weren't called Christians yet. They didn't have church names or labels to put on one another. So what were they known as? Followers of Jesus. Uh, They were the people who literally were leaving behind an old kind of life and starting to follow Jesus into a new kind of life. And so we're invited to be the same, to say, I'll I'll start walking the way of Jesus instead of walking my own way. And that'll, that'll come out in everyday decisions that I'll make. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't exactly know where that'll take me. I don't know what that looks like. Here's the, the truth of it is, no one in this room, no matter how long we've been a Christian, knows what that looks like because all of us are on the journey together. But here's what I can tell you. The day that you cross the bridge, the day that you decide to put your faith in Jesus, something changes in your heart and you'll have a story kind of like what Maureen shared with us a little bit earlier. You'll have a story of a moment when things were all of a sudden different. It's not just about information you have or what church you're a part of or how involved you are in you know, giving to the poor or something. All those are good things, but there's something that transcends all of that when you put your faith in Jesus and you say, now I'm following him. So I want to encourage you with a couple, um, a couple truths here as we, I'm sure we all have Easter plans for this afternoon and things we have to go, people we have to go meet and you know, food we have to eat. That's all coming soon. But in this moment, I just want to challenge you to think about your life and recognize you were made to live. You weren't made to waste and decay. You weren't made to just grow endlessly older and maybe extend it a little if you're lucky and then die. You were made to live a thriving, abundant, joyful, purposeful life. A life that's not defined by just kind of the worthless silliness that surrounds us all over the place, right? You could give your life to things that just honestly don't matter at all. Or you can walk forward from earth into eternity. So you were made for that, but there's more good news. You were made to live forever. Your life isn't supposed to end with your earthly death. Jesus said to Mary and Martha as they were looking at their brother who had died, that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die. So you have the opportunity to transcend this world and be a part of something much bigger um, when you believe in Christ. You were made to live, you were made to live forever, you were made to live with Jesus and like Jesus. So it might be that you're kind of thinking, well, I, I... I'm pretty sure I believe all this, but I'm not sure if I'm living the life I'm supposed to live. I'm not sure if my life really feels all that different than what it used to feel like before I believed this. The the way to test that is to look at the way of Jesus and say, how closely does my life align with Jesus' way? And, And the closer you align yourself with the way of Jesus, the more abundant your life will become. The further away from Jesus you are, or maybe you say, I don't really even think about Jesus that often, probably you're missing something really big and have no idea 
how great life would be as you put your faith in Jesus and start walking with him. You're made to live with Jesus, with Jesus and like Jesus, and that all can start today. Your story can take a radical turn in a great direction. Just like those first disciples, they, they thought it was over when they realized Jesus had risen from the dead, when they actually reckoned with what that meant. It changed their future. It changed everything about their lives. And that can happen for you as well. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? As we reflect on this, we're getting ready to conclude, but I want there to be just a moment for you to pray in the quietness of your own heart, in your own mind, setting aside the things that would distract you and just focusing on God for this moment. Are you experiencing the kind of life that Jesus came to bring? And do you have confidence that your life is going to last forever with Jesus and like Jesus? If what happens in your heart in asking that question is affirmation and confidence, then we celebrate that. Praise the Lord that um, God is testifying in your heart. The Holy Spirit is giving you witness that, yes, you are on this road of life and immortality. But it could be that when we ask questions like that, in your heart there's more question than there is answer. There's doubt, there's uncertainty. For you, I want to invite you to pray and to ask God to make things clear. There's true life available. There's eternal life available. And all of it comes to us as we put our faith in Jesus. I remember when I first put my faith in Jesus, I prayed directly to God about it, and I want to invite you to do that right now. Maybe you've not made a decision to follow Jesus before, but today is the day that you could decide that and start moving forward in a new direction. So what I'd like to do, as we're all in a moment of prayer here, is just pray with you, kind of suggest a prayer, I suppose. And, and you can pray in your own words to the Lord. Maybe that prayer would sound something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your death and resurrection. Thank you for giving me a path from earth into eternity. Thank you for loving me and caring about me even when I wasn't paying attention to you. Thank you for your grace that you would do this miracle for me even though I don't deserve it. Lord, today I put my faith in you and I want to turn from my way of life 
to your way of life. Jesus, would you guide my next steps as I follow you wherever you'll lead? Thank you for forgiving me and thank you for saving me. Pray this in Jesus' name. So, Heavenly Father, you have heard our prayers. And if there are a few in this room who have prayed that kind of a prayer for the first time, I pray that you would strengthen them as they begin their Christian journey. Lord, thank you for giving all of us hope and a future. Thank you for doing what we could never do, the ultimate miracle of not just fixing up this life or making our downward trend a little bit better. Lord, thank you for giving us a new path, true life and immortality through the good news. Thank you for the resurrection and all that it means to us. We look forward to following you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Next week, we're going to start studying through the book of Acts in the scripture. And I encourage you to come back then. Until then, happy Easter and God bless you. <laughs>